November 5th, 2023. This one is called Pillars of Health. Good day, everyone. Happy daylight savings time. Spring forward, fall back. We have an extra hour of, uh, I guess, living today, but it also gets darker a bit earlier. So for today's little thing, I wanted to talk about three non-negotiable pillars of health and also a little bit about the health benefits of love. So many times we're seeing things online about just the benefits of uh, food, supplements, circadian rhythm health, exercise, keeping a schedule, etc. All this is fantastic and definitely um, helps a person. But if they're doing all of that without love in their life, well, the equation's going to fall short. So first, let's talk a bit about the three pillars of health. And this is going to be coming from an Ayurvedic perspective. I oftentimes like to talk about Ayurveda and as well as the Tao on the broadcast and many other things, ancient modalities, etc. And they're similar, the Vedic path um, of Ayurveda, which means life science. Ayur means uh, science and Veda means life like Vida. And the Tao, very similar, of course, uh, you know, coming around and coming from two different areas of the world. So the three pillars non-negotiable, eat, rest, and love, and how to balance those three pillars. So in Ayurveda, it is a long-held belief that health is a delicate balance and of harmony in the mind, body, and spirit. And oftentimes in the Tao, we talk about that too. We talk about that from the perspective of Jing and Qi and uh, Shen, and it's not necessarily the same translation as it is in Ayurveda, but nevertheless, we have this um, tradition of how to balance you know, certain aspects. At the core of the Ayurvedic philosophy, there are three pillars of health. Number one would be food and digestion. Number two would be sleep or rest. And number three, sex or sexual energy. And what do all these three things have in common? They are core ways in which we feel nourished and receive nourishment. So in the modern world, we look around, the food supply is absolute sludge. A lot of humans having digestive dis-ease, especially a lot of younger people, a lot of millennials and Zoomers dealing with all different types of digestive dis-ease. People having uh, no rest and relaxation, no yin time in their life. Constantly, it's uh, solar noon when you're looking at the blue light all the time. So we don't even have a time where we're you know, back in the days when there was uh, snow or fuzz on the TV, now it's, you know, 24-7, you could be blasting yourself with, um, you know, light and stuff like that and just hyper-stimuli that makes it really impossible to rest. And the third one is sex or sexual energy. And we live in a world that, you know, many of you looking at it, maybe from a topical perspective, might think that we live in this very, quote, sex-positive, almost perverse world, but we actually don't. We live in a world where a lot of um, things that are very unhealthy are being uh, promoted, somewhat even fetishized, but the real core of having sex as a pillar of our, you know, basically our, our livelihood, of our life, of our, our, one of our core energetic practices, that is really not talked about. We're always talked about, you know, having a, a quick uh, a rendezvous with someone, maybe just using their body for release when we're never really taught about the energetics of sexuality and how important and how um, integral that is to one's nourishment. 
So of course, you're probably familiar with the satisfaction of eating a warm home-cooked meal, having an amazing restful night's sleep, or even a lovemaking scenario where you feel deeply seen or perhaps given yourself the time and space for self-pleasure and felt rejuvenated after. It is when we rush through life and skip meals, go to bed late, or have unsatisfying or unloving sex, we begin to fall out of balance and we see it reflected in how we feel in our day-to-day life. And of course, things like dis-ease can set in when this occurs. So pillar number one, food and digestive uh, health. In the Ayurvedic system, they talk of digestive fire, which they call Agni. Agni is essential for converting food into energy or prana, what's known as qi in the Chinese system, what's known as vril in the uh, Norse or Aryan traditions. It's also responsible for ridding the body of toxins. And when there is decreased fire or Agni in the body, the body can become overburdened with toxins. Agni not only speaks to our ability to digest our food, but also how we well we digest life's experiences. So it's not just about, you know, eating something and digesting it well. That's, of course, fantastic and necessary. But the things that we have experience wise, whether they're personal, whether we see things kind of from a more, you know, uh, worldwide scale, like if someone's taking in lots of news media, and maybe even believing a lot of the stuff that's, you know, just um, hoax, hoaxes, that's going to affect how they digest things, especially if they put a lot of value into believing those things. When, I mean, I'm of the opinion that the majority of that is just a hollow hoax and it's not really worth creating a life around that consumption. I don't think it is because I think oftentimes people are so dead set on taking in this information, hoping that there's going to be some type of change from taking it in, but it's better to create peace within our own lives via the flow state than to spend energy wishing it for the whole world. So if we're wishing it for the whole world, how can we really digest our own life, right? The gut-brain axis is connected via the vagus nerve running from the base of the brain through the heart, the lungs, the digestive organs and ends with the pelvic bowl and the cervix. When we are able to digest life, well, we can access the parasympathetic part of the nervous system, making a rest and digest state. That's why something like sex can be so healing to the nervous system. And there's a lot of great information out there about healing the nervous system, uh, you know, stimulating the vagus nerve, which sometimes for some people might actually not be the best thing to do because it might be too stimulatory. It's maybe like doing a lot of, um, kind of breath work could be too stimulatory, especially if they're in a very um, depleted or, you know, key deficient, low prana state, if you will. But us ladies, we are very much an advantage having a cervix because the vagus nerve runs through the cervix. So we have this kind of like extra built in way to connect with our um, healing. And if someone out there is listening and doesn't have uh, a mate for lovemaking, you can find ways of self-pleasuring yourself that can also uh, help with your uh, nervous system regulation. You can use something like a cervical wand or you could have your mate utilize it on you as well. So there are many ways to to go about this. But there are, like I said, a lot of great stuff out there about healing the nervous system, foods that work, exercises, somatic practices, all, all very good information, well-intended. But the real way like the powerhouse way to heal the nervous system is um, through sexual healing. And it's said in the Tao, when we talk about the Tao, we talk about the Jing, which is the essence. We talk about um, the key 
which is considered kind of like just like a, a basic energy. And then we talk about the Shen, which is the spirit. So in the Tao, the Taoist belief is that all energy starts out at the root in the sacral area as a, a sexual energy. And that energy is a very creative energy. And we transform that energy to Qi, and then we transform it into Shen, which is the spiritual energy. So basically, to move and create that spiritual energy, it must start with that creative sexual energy. And by sexual energy, I don't necessarily mean an energy that's just based uh, on the foundation of sex. It could be that, but it's an energy of activation of that area that can then be transmutated into a spiritual energy. So it's not just about having sex, you know, making love, having orgasms, giving them, receiving them, etc. That's all, that's all great stuff. It's about honing and creating and uh, basically nourishing that area of the body that has this um, immense um, well of sexual and creative energy. Oftentimes people who are celibate, who aren't engaged in lovemaking, but not even self-pleasure for some of them, they put a lot of their creative energy into something if they're not putting it into lovemaking. So when it comes to food and digestion, we want to eat the right food at the appropriate time, in the proper environment, with love and respect for the foods that will nourish our body as well as our mind and our soul. And if you're having issues with food and digestion, ask yourself, are you conscious of what and how you consume? I mean, are you eating uh, standing up? That's a very bad habit, by the way. It doesn't even register in your brain that you're eating something. So you always want to sit down to really digest. Is your food stimulating like coffee or antisocial media? Or is it grounding like root vegetables and being in nature? So all questions to ask oneself. Number two is uh, sleep and rest. It is said that our day begins the night before, and this is for good reason. The quality of sleep can impact everything from mental clarity to energy to how well you show up for your life. If you've ever had that wired but tired feeling, the one where you feel so tired but you just can't seem to turn you off your brain, as everything in nature we are aligned with the sun and the moon, those natural circadian rhythms sync with our brains, communicating with the body when it's time to be awake and when it's time for sleep. With the invention of technology, we've gotten a bit off track. Eyes take in the blue lights from electronic devices, convincing our brains it's the afternoon, even if it's 10 p.m. in the evening. This stresses the adrenals and thus throws us into a cycle of not ever being able to feel fully rested. So the more we consume this media, the less rested we're going to feel, even though a lot of us are doing it as kind of like, I'd even say a trauma response, because it's it kind of numbs us out in a way, you know, doing a lot of the scrolling and stuff. And from a TCM perspective, scrolling isn't necessarily bad. It's just when we abuse scrolling, we become um, restless and agitated and it affects our heart energy. And I think at the root of a lot of that behavior is a loneliness. Um, and many of us feel that loneliness, even if we have mates or families or we're surrounded by other humans. I think it's this kind of um, bit of an existential crisis that we all kind of feel in this world, especially in a post-OEDAI world where there's this, this loneliness or this longing in the heart because so many of us used to do more IRL or in uh, real life types of things. So the scrolling is kind of a diversion whenever we kind of want to feel loved or get a compliment or, or be connected with other humans, we reach and we, um, you know, we basically numb ourselves or distract ourselves with our, our mobile. So how to evaluate the sleep and rest pillar? 
Do you feel well rested in the morning? If not, what are things you could change the night before? So when people say they have insomnia, insomnia or their sleep is foul, it's not just about what they did five minutes before they hit the snooze. It's about their entire life. It's about their entire lifestyle, their entire day. So you want to look at all of that. Like I read earlier, it is said that our day begins the night before for good reason. So it's a cumulative uh, amount of factors. And number three pillar is uh, sex and sexual energy. A vibrant sexual desire is seen as a reflection of overall vitality and hormonal balance. A lack of desire can be indicative of underlying health issues, hormonal issues, unhealed trauma, or stress. And it seems that these issues are affecting people younger and younger. Typically, people would go through something where they might lose their sexual desire or sexual energy maybe in their later years, but now there are people in their 20s who are who are dealing with this just like i said earlier a lot of the millennials and zoomers dealing with all these digestive diseases um quote autoimmune diseases very popular with those generations mental illness i mean all of these things that were uh, mostly foreign for the most part for our ancestors especially are you know far in the back but even for our grandparents and um great grandparents a lot of these things were totally just not things and i also think too that there's this kind of um this trope in society especially in western society not so much in eastern society or in the old era and traditions but where it's expected like oh you're supposed to lose sexual desire at a certain time in your life i i personally don't believe in that i think that people lose desire because they have a key blockage, whether it's either a deficient key or a stagnant key, what we would call, you know, either um, deficient prana, stagnant prana, deficient vril, stagnant vril, etc. There's a blockage going on and then the energy cannot flow in the body. And that's why this happens. That's why we're seeing it happen to youth. And then we're seeing it kind of happen at the time when people expect it to happen, right? And oftentimes it can happen to someone who's maybe in relationship with someone who's not necessarily um, as vibrantly um, sexually energized as them. So if you're with somebody, if you have a mate who doesn't really enjoy that, it can be a real uh, downer for you. That ends up being a stress. And how can you have vibrant sexual desire when you're with someone who doesn't have any, that could be a total stress and that could even affect someone's hormones. That could basically become a trauma, be tacked on to more trauma that was unhealed. It could cause a health issue, a medical problem or dis-ease. So I don't believe we're supposed to lose that um, energy. I really uh, don't. In the East, they don't. I think back to like some of the Taoist adepts that they talk about in many of these, you know, these books of my my vast book collection on these topics and they talk of these people who would be having regular sex in their 70s and 80s and beyond uh, and in the east they don't consider sexuality is something that is perverse or oh it was a sin because they weren't married or oh it's okay because they are married but even though it's a terrible relationship none of that matters as long as it's not a sin out of wedlock i mean these really just ridiculous um, misogynistic just anti-humanistic abrahamic beliefs that we have still running the current of our society and then we see all this kind of counter display of sexuality through like the lgbtp and all of that but that's not real sexual essence if you're going to be putting a knife um near your crotch how are you gonna have um sexual energy what's your gin gonna be like it's really gonna be messed up 
But there's no reason why we shouldn't be um, having a vibrant sexual desire and sexual life into, you know, those those golden years of our, our life. And in the Taoist traditions, it's seen as an extension of health. It's not seen as something that is perverse. Um, here in the States, it's it's oftentimes seen that whether it's in a good way or it's, you know, it's in a, in a bad way. We kind of, you know, use that depending on how we see it. But in in the East, it's not about that. It's like, oh, of course you, you do your morning movement exercise. You know, of course you brush your teeth. Of course you eat breakfast. Of course you have sex. It's just, it's part of your wellness practice. It's not seen here as something that is only allowed to be done in a certain context, only for procreation, or you do it if you're naughty or dirty, right? So it's a very, very different um, context. Sexual well-being is not only about physical pleasure and the beautiful hormonal cocktail that floods the body, but more about the wise use of our sexual energy. In Ayurveda, there are no judgments or things seen as good or bad, like in the Tao. Merely it is a question, how are you using your sexual energy? So that's really, that's really the question to ask. And when a woman feels tuned in to her sacred sexual essence, new aliveness begins to pulse within her. Her health improves, her eyes glimmer, and all of creation is at her disposal. And we live in this society where women, even to this day, are shamed for their sexual desire. If they have none, or if they have a small amount, that's considered to be um, normal and okay. But if they have too much, or what's deemed as too much, then they're called derogatory names, right? Because a lot of people are still scared of that vast amount of sexual energy that women can basically create. And that, of course, leads to having all these types of orgasms that men are not necessarily on the same uh, perspective able to, you know, have that many. They, they still can, especially if they're practicing a lot of these, you know, sacred sexual techniques and stuff. But this culture as a whole is um, completely and totally scared of um, a woman's vibrant sexual desire once it's been activated. And something else that's kind of kind of interesting to think about is that um, there are some women who are probably in relationships where they're not having orgasms or they're not really having good orgasms, but a man's real true orgasm is basically pleasing a woman. Because if he can't do that, then, I mean, maybe this is kind of a bold thing to say. I don't really think so much, but I mean, what, what good is he? right? I mean, I think that's that's a fair assessment to make. Um, but that's really where a man's true orgasm, or at least the beginning of it comes from, is, is that ability to please a woman. And a woman's also able to have an orgasm that lasts double the amount of time that men do. That's why I always think it's so funny. We see these things on the internet saying that, um, you know, men are definitely hornier than women, but then we also see all this other stuff about, you know, how if women like sex, there's something wrong with them, right? So who, which one is it, right? Interesting to think about that. But yeah, um, talking about a woman's orgasm being a, quote, man's real orgasm. Of course, many here believe that the only um, men's only goal in sex is to basically release and the strange truth is, is that a man's, quote, orgasm comes from his woman having an orgasm with him. The more aroused and excited a woman is in the bedroom, the higher the man's satisfaction is in the bedroom. And a lot of people will say one of the most important aspects of, you know, having a good sexual experience is the enthusiasm in the other person. If the other person's not enthused, 
How good could it be? It's almost like paying for it at that point. If a woman cannot have an orgasm with a man, it can wreak havoc on him mentally, emotionally, and physically. That's because for a man, his orgasm isn't as important as his woman's pleasure and orgasm. So something that you really don't hear a lot, there's still so many um, hoaxes going on in the world with uh, sex and sexuality. That's why I think it's, I always kind of chuckle to myself when people are saying like we have this like society where it's like so sexually free and sexually open it's not at all i mean the whole thing with the the transsexual stuff and all that that, that's just controlled to basically get people into uh, a box and even like the whole hetero hookup culture that's just based on release it's not based on emotional connection it's not it's not based on the cultivation of sexual energy you know changing jing into shen it's nothing like that at all so evaluate the pillar of sex and sexual energy ask yourself do you feel an equal energy exchange is taking place during your sexual experiences are you allowing yourself to receive? This is especially, I think, for a lot of women, we don't allow ourselves to receive. Some women are actually very uh, self-conscious during the sexual experience, self-conscious receiving um, cunnilingus, things like that. What were the messages you were given growing up around sexual desire? And do you feel safe? All of these are really important when it comes to relaxing and um, being able to just kind of fall into that flow state where an orgasm can happen. If you're not relaxed and you're trying to force it out, that's not going to be very good. So yeah, the three pillars of health right there. Easier said than done, I'm sure. Food and digestion, sleep and rest, sex and sexual energy. And following this, this tiny little formula, basically a lifestyle, if you will, can make you feel really, really good um, and keep you looking young and feeling young. And basically what old age is or aging or the slowing down of organ health or metabolism, the slowing down of mitochondria, key pranavril, however you want to look at it, is really an atrophy of the endocrine or the hormonal glands. That's what aging is. So when you see a person who's in their golden years, who still has that glimmer or sparkle in their, their eye, that is someone who has good jing. That is someone who has good sexual energy. That's their secret. So now, a little bit about how love is good for your health. Yes, it is. It can improve your mood and help reduce stress as well as doing many other things. And this can translate into not just the love of a long-term relationship, but also loving your life, loving the humans you're surrounded with, loving the food you eat, the path you're on, um, loving your experiences that you're having. Um, all of this kind of a positive impact on your health and your well-being. So love is often thought of as just a feeling or an emotion, but it's more than that. Love can actually have a significant impact on our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. And there are numerous benefits associated with being in love as well. So here are some of the benefits. And of course, truly when someone is in love, the love making is flowing very um, stupendously or very uh, rich and, and luscious and you know, ample. It's like when someone first meets somebody and they're like, they're having sex all the time and they're just, they can't get enough of one another. That is really good for your health. Of course, it's not good for your health if the person is, is abusing you or you keep on doing this every two or three months and then you, you know, so it's, it's really good to, it's really as good as to always have that kind of first time essence brimming in a relationship. I think that's one of the things that keeps a relationship in, um, in a good stead, keeps it healthy, keeps it alive, keeps it vigorous.
So being in love and love can boost mood and reduce stress. When we are in love, our brains release a number of feel-good chemicals, dopamine, oxytocin, endorphins. These can boost our mood and reduce stress levels. So basically being in love is almost like a meditation, if you will, right? Also improves heart health. Being in love and love in general can have a positive impact on our cardiovascular health. Uh, it can lower blood pressure and reduce the risk of heart dis-ease. I mean, how many times have, have you listening heard of someone dying of a broken heart? I mean, I've heard it. I mean, it, I think it does happen. There's even been studies published that say happily married couples have lower levels of the stress hormone cortisol, which is associated with a higher risk of heart dis-ease. Number three, love and affection can also boost the, quote, immune system, or what I like to call the support system, making us more resilient to illness and uh, dis-ease. Very good. Number four, uh, love and being in love helps with pain management. Uh, love can be a natural pain killer. When we are in love, our brains release endorphins, which are natural painkillers that can help reduce physical pain. Uh, there was one study that said people in love experience less pain than those who were not in a romantic relationship. And it's been said, at least with the case with men, that men in um, loving relationships, or I guess and or marriage, however you want to see it, can also uh, live longer than ones who, who aren't. So that's something to, um, good to be said there. And we go to this trope, another trope in society, the one about you know sex and sex being so misunderstood, so terribly misunderstood. And then we also have this other one about how um, once you get married, your life is over. Uh, you're going to have a ball and chain. You have your bachelor's night as your last night of, quote, freedom. I've actually seen places advertising the last night before you get married as your last night of freedom. Oh, once you're married, you're not allowed to look at anybody else. If you look at anybody else, you're cheating. I mean, this is this is so ridiculous. It, it almost makes me kind of laugh and chuckle because, like, I mean, how insecure do you have to be? This is so pathetic. And if you go into something thinking it's your last night of freedom, you're really going into it. Uh, you shouldn't be going into it personally because life is about um, ecstasy, bliss, and freedom. It's not about having your, quote, last night of freedom and then sleeping on the couch because you got caught looking at somebody. I mean, what a life, right? So another thing, love and being in love improves mental health. Love can also have a positive impact on um, how we feel in the, in the head mentally, right? People in loving relationships tend to have better mental health outcomes, including lower rates of things like depression and anxiety. In fact, just being in a loving relationship can be as effective as therapy for some people. I mean, think about it. If you have a good mate, maybe you're having a lousy or a foul day and they say something to you like, it could boost you and uplift you. Like if you're just feeling shitty and they say, you know, it's, it's temporary. It's, it's, it's temporary. You're going to get through it. I've got a great dinner planned. You know, that, that can mean the world to somebody. So I think oftentimes that's why when they say that people in relationship live uh, longer, it's because they have kind of like a built-in uh, therapy buddy. And number six, being in love and having, um, um, just having love in your life can increase longevity. It's easy to see how all of these things can add years to your life and life to your years. So here are some tips on having the love of your dreams. If you're out there and you're looking for um, someone, um, a partner, or just looking to basically fill yourself up, fill your cup up with love and of abundance, be the kind of person you wish to attract. That's always good advice, kind of like your vibe attacks, uh, attracts your tribe, that type of thing. Take your health seriously. Be way more concerned about the type of fats you eat over the amount of 
sugar or carbohydrates that you eat. And yes, that is true. There's so much emphasis still on these like, um, these death keto cults. And that's just like a whole other topic altogether. Um, didn't talk too much about food on this little thing, but even if they're not like full on keto, keto, even stuff like the Weston A. Price Foundation is just like, it's all about fat, 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 fat. No um, discrimination about the type of fat. Uh, and then basically keeping carbs, I think, too low and keeping protein too low. Easy recipe for liver, liver damage, low libido, weight gain, hypothyroidism. Um, yeah, no good. Everyone's always concerned about like... Um, you know, doesn't, you know, they don't care about that. They're always concerned about like, oh, this has zero sugar. How many products do you see now? Zero sugar. And it has like some fake sugar in it. Like that is not the problem. The problem is that people's bodies are sick and they can't use the carbohydrates efficiently and eating more fat is just going to mask the problem and give the person liver damage. Crazy. And people will say, oh, this is an ancestral way of eating. We live in 2023. We live in a modern world where there are so many snares. They're ongoing 24 seven, they live, we sleep. <laughs> um, and people are trying to eat a quote ancestral diet in 2023. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. So besides focusing on good digestion, good rest and cultivating your sexual energy, be more concerned with avoiding toxic fats that will harm your liver than like all this ridiculous like um, scrutiny over you know a carbohydrate or something like that it's just it's it's so crazy the things people are afraid of in this world and finally take inventory of your current circle the humans in your life this go go for uh in real life and also online too never underestimate the uh, impact that people and or communities or spaces online can have on your health because even though you don't see them in person and you don't party with them in person things online, whether you're looking at it or like people who are just your friends or communities, whatever, that can also have an effect on um, your vibe. So are these humans in your current circle vibrant? They're uplifting, motivating, positive, kind. How are the people around you influencing your love bucket? So totally important to think about that when there's so much negativity, there's so much um, community spaces online where people are just in uh, downer mode a lot. Um, and it may not be like that they're deliberately looking to bring you down, but do you want that in your frequency or in your space? Something to consider. So to close, um, our state of health influences how we can embody love. That's super important. So if we're digesting well, if we're resting and sleeping, if we're opened our sexual energy, you know, self-pleasure, um, having a lovemaking practice with a mate, all that great stuff. This is a high vibrational frequency. Remember that we are energetic beings. That's why all the things that are going on in the world are meant to fiddle with our energy. So if our energy output is low because of deficiency or stagnation, it's um, no wonder that for some people being a loving human can feel completely out of reach. But as your health improves, you may bless everything and everyone you encounter. So if you're resting and sleeping well, eating and digesting well, you have a, a love practice, whether it's solo lovemaking, um, partner lovemaking, if you're doing both, that's, that's amazing too. Imagine how much more energy, high vibrational frequency you'll be able to bring into your life as opposed to just wishing things in the world would change. Change starts now 
and it starts uh, within and it starts with you. That's all I have for today on this little tidbit of a thing called the three pillars of health, or I think I called it pillars of health. Yeah, pillars of health. We'll go with that. That's all I have. Uh, I got some content coming up um, for another kind of show, a full show at some point. And uh, stay tuned for the um, the Tabby Wellness uh, community, which will be launching sometime in this month of uh, November. Very exciting stuff, kind of moving away from the applications from the telegram and just um, looking to create more of a high vibrational space uh, for people who really who really care about those things. I know some people just like to look at the stuff online on the you know the Instagram or look at the stuff on um, on telegram but I'm really keen on curating a certain space where we can really take things to the next level. So to everyone listening, I wish you a great day and we'll be connecting again soon. Satnam.